podcast about. This is a podcast where we get together on a fortnightly basis and just see if we can figure out what our topic might be about. Today, my name is Keith Ramsey, and as always, I am joined by Peter Akerley. Howdy! And Matthew Grace. Hello! So how's it going? It's going pretty well. Pretty good. Uh, last, I think most of our listeners would have had was uh, Peter wishing them a fuck you for New Year's. And, well, uh, now that we're into 2021, I just want to say how much I love all of our fans and would never say anything heinous towards them. Turning over a new leaf for the new year. I, I had some pent-up bad juju in me after 2020 and I need to get it out of my system. Oh, but don't worry, we're into 2020 part 2, Electric Boogaloo. The Electric Boogaloo makes me less concerned. I gonna be honest, I don't think this 2020 bullshit ends until like 2023. I feel like that's the first time when we can stop making reference to 2020 through the year. I, I mean, I saw something online where someone said, I'm a little worried because it's only 2021. Yeah. Yeah. As in 2020 has taken first place. They've beat us all. It's beat us all. To be fair, there has been some good news that has come out since the year's begun. Uh, one of the big ones that we recently found out was WandaVision is actually going to be more episodes than we thought it was. Uh, it's going to be about eight episodes. Ooh. That's pretty uh, hype. And apparently uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is getting the same treatment. So there's more content for both of them. And someone did the math. And with the movie releases counted in there, every week we're going to have something new Marvel related for MCU for roughly the first five to six months of the year. Interesting. When does it start? Has it already started? 15th. Okay. So this coming Friday. So we're about a week away. As you're listening to this podcast, it'll be the Friday coming. I see. I see. So we had a year of no Marvel, and uh, it's hitting hard now when it comes back. We have a year of no Marvel, then we have half a year of weekly Marvel. They're ready to Marvel us. Yep, pretty much. (laughs) Yep, that's... Yep. Okay, what else is happening? Uh, kind of also related news to Disney Plus. Uh, they have confirmed that they're doing uh, they're doing an R-rated area of Disney Plus, and that's where Deadpool's going to live. Oh, okay. so far it only sounds like Deadpool's the only thing we're yeah. there though. <laughs> so I guess it's the Deadpool corner of Disney Plus. Oh, they're just going to do that thing where like Deadpool just reads you essentially other stories, and it's just a whole bunch of Disney classics starring Deadpool working himself into stories, and then uh, or he decides to narrate some. Old classic. Yeah. yeah, and we are going to be getting a Deadpool 3 that's been confirmed. It's going to be the first new movie uploaded there, apparently. I'm still up to watch Deadpool 2. <laughs> you should get on that, Matt. Come I on, should. Matt. We have a podcast where we talk about pop culture things. You should be up to date on Deadpool. Specifically Deadpool. <laughs> uh, one of the things that people thought might be also going to this is the new Blade movie, because the old one was uh, M-rated, as, uh, R-rated as well. Yeah. But it sounds like the one starring Marshall is just going to be a PG-13 movie, just like everything else. So yeah, it's Deadpool was to... famous enough that when uh, it all got made and it was very popular that they aren't going to try to tone that down. Yeah. Everything else, they're still risk uh, Disney doesn't exactly want to bet an R rating on their movies, but Deadpool was famous enough partially for the fact that it had an R rating that they're willing to allow it to keep its R rating status. Even though they also, after the first Deadpool came out, released a holiday special which was family friendly and made it PG thirteen. Well, no, it was after two. Because it covered the story of one and two. Oh, okay. I thought it was only after the first one, but if it's after the second one. Still. Because yeah, he kidnapped the actor from uh, Princess Bride. Yes. And taped him to the bed so he could tell him the story. <laughs> and cut out all of the swearing. Or most of the swearing. And defend Nickelback. That, that's not the thing. Matt, you really gotta watch Deadpool yeah. 2 and now this Deadpool recap. Yeah. 
I suppose you could just watch the recap, but you should probably watch two as well. I plan on it. Uh, another big news, uh, League of Legends, Riot has announced their season 11 plans for the game. And it looks like we're getting a big world-changing event because people are complaining for the last like five years that the story doesn't progress. And they're like, fuck it, we're going to progress everything. <laughs> well, to be fair with them, we already know that the Rune King is one of the characters that's supposedly going to get introduced in this season. I believe he's in the PBE this week. Sure, exactly. So it would make sense that with that big of a character who has that big of an impact on the lore, you'd kind of want to update the story to introduce him into the world. So, And they even said the next three characters are going to be tied to this storyline going on with the Rune King and all that. So, It's a big enough character and a big enough story that it makes sense that they would have a whole event tied around him that would progress the plot uh, after he's introduced. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I've been into League of Legends for like six months. Oh god, it's been like six months now. And I'd say I'm at the point where I have a comfortable enough understanding that hopefully the event means stuff to me. The extent of my knowledge pretty much uh, goes to Cho'Goth eating people and Garen spinning to win. Well, good news. That's what the event's going to be entirely about. It's a dance competition starring Garen and Cho'Goth um, eating people, but not in the violent way, more so in the Oh, the bedroom gen- way? Like the gen- or oh. Gentleman Cho'Goth. I was going to say gentleman Cho'Goth. Uh, well, he's a gentleman in the bedroom. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. So I guess I shouldn't keep you rating. Uh, clearly this episode is my birthday episode, so you guys apparently had no clue what I was suggesting the episode would be about. That's not true. I fully figured it out. I think I got it. Alright, so on the count of three... We're going to say what we think the episode's about, and we're all going to say the same thing, and then we'll just move forward, all right? Okay. okay. So, one, two, three, the poor hair of Ghostbusters. What? 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 <laughs> yeah, we all said the same thing. Keith, why don't you say it alone, just so that there's none of that overlapping effect? <laughs> it's Ghostbusters. <laughs> exactly. Okay. That's what I said. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I decided to do one of my top five favorite movies of all time, the original Ghostbusters movie. I'm glad I watched it. Because <laughs> this was my first time watching it, and my god, was it a trip. Oh my god, man! You never saw Ghostbusters? No! I keep telling you how much of a coward I was when I was a kid. It's not even a scary movie! I was terrified it's by that comedy. very- I was terrified by that very first ghost I could not watch. Wait, you're terrified of Slimer? No, the no. librarian. Oh, the librarian. the librarian! Okay, ghost. the librarian. I forgot that the librarian appears before Slimer. Oh. <laughs> okay, so- Ghostbusters is kind of like a horror comedy movie that was made in the 80s. I wouldn't even call it horror now. No. But, it was a comedy. But by the time, like, yeah, I can see, like, why it was categorized as a horror comedy, mm-hmm. uh, given the effects of the time. And the, if you look at it in the time scope of it, they're really good effects. They yeah. are. It's surprisingly really good for the time. I think one of the things that I find really amusing about the movie is that the effects were so good for the time that, like, when characters in the movies talk about how it's clearly special effects that are causing ghosts to appear and there aren't actually ghosts. It's one of those things like, this was cutting edge in movie theaters and you think they could reproduce that good of effects in the real world at that time? (laughs) Fuck you! (laughs) Although as the movie viewer, it does kind of draw attention to it. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the movie Ghostbusters were following uh, three scientists and later just uh, another person who, they go around New York City and hunt ghosts which become enough of a problem that they need Ghostbusters, but were never a problem beforehand that they needed Ghostbusters. Yeah. Or anyone believed in ghosts. Or believes in ghosts after Ghostbusters. Funny enough. Well, to me, it seemed like when it started out, 
two of the scientists in their little group believed in ghosts and were hunting ghosts, but the third one didn't. Yeah, so Stance and Spangler. Uh, I believe that Venkman, who is kind of, I guess, the main character for the most part, is a psychologist. Uh, Spangler mm-hmm. is an engineer, and I've never been sure on what Stance is. A scientist, in <laughs> scientist. air quotes. Yes, his only credibility comes from all of the uh, techno jargon that he spouts through the entire film. Yeah, so the movie itself opens up with a scene in the library. We get some interesting things that kind of come into play a bit later, but it's a librarian. She's going from the library. She's kind of putting books away, and these weird things are happening. She's walking through the hall, so there's a book floating from aisle to aisle. Uh, the Dewey Decimal System is just being thrown all to shit because all those cue cards are being thrown all over the place. She freaks out, runs off. We get the smash cut to the Ghostbusters theme and logo. See, I'm going to cut you off here because with evidence of ghosts being that fucking blatant of like books hovering across aisles in libraries and cards going flying when no one's interacting with them, I don't understand how you get that in real life and have still nobody fucking believes in ghosts in day-to-day society. They kind of give us a reason for this later on, which is kind of weird because there's a part later in the movie where Zedmore, who is the other uh, person who gets hired as a ghost, but she has no scientific background. As he puts it, he's just looking for a paycheck, and if it pays, he can believe whatever the fuck they want him to believe. Yep. But there's a part where him and Stans are in the car, and they're driving across the bridge, and they have a discussion about the end times, uh, that most religions have one, and the dead always ri- rise from the, like their graves and stuff at these end times. Mm-hmm. So he suggests maybe we're approaching the end times. That's why all these ghosts are appearing. They never debunk or affirm this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's implied that the only reason all these ghosts started coming up is because the Earth is now reaching a point of just annihilation. The end times. Yeah. So since that's the reason that they're trying to push, you can also kind of safely assume that once they finish solving the big trouble at the end of the movie all of the ghosts are just gone see i've always took it as more of the uh j jonah jameson spider-man interpretation which is that sure ghosts were a thing that happened but very uncommonly kind of like how crime is a thing that happens in spider-man's new york but sort of uncommonly but the existence of the ghostbusters and them actively busting ghosts causes more ghosts to come out because of the imbalance created through the busting of ghosts. And so that creates some fucking scientific imbalance and them creating portals to hell that they shove ghosts inside of, even though it's not portals to hell, it's energy entrapment fields, but it's kind of portals to hell. <laughs> uh, I feel like that always, their actions indirectly cause more ghosts to come out, has always been my interpretation of the events, even though that's definitely only mine and not an accepted excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're. Because I mainly want to focus on the first Ghostbusters movie for this, but the funny thing about that is we get Ghostbusters 2, which it's not the end times for that one, but the ghosts are still around in full flame. But everyone forgot about ghosts, apparently, between the first and the second movie. <laughs> to the part where the Ghostbusters are out of business because no one believes in ghosts and won't hire them. That's where but, Ghostbusters 2 starts. <laughs> but literally a few years... Was it even a few years earlier? I thought it was like a year after. It's like a year. Yeah. A year earlier, a giant marshmallow man walks through the streets destroying traffic and no one believes in ghosts. And your first thought at seeing a giant physical marshmallow man would not be ghost. <laughs> it would be a giant physical ghost marshmallow I'm pretty sure there's also swirling ghosts throughout the sky during that <laughs> happening. Uh, but the other thing is, we also get uh, 
the kind of spiritual successor to the Ghostbusters trilogy, which is the Ghostbusters video game, which a lot of the cast kind of said, like, that finishes off the Ghostbusters story because they never could make the third movie. Yeah. And that one also has the same problem where there's still Ghostbusters, but no one fucking believes in ghosts, and Walter Peck's still doing his thing. Yeah. Uh, but they do do, in the movie, they do a much better, not the movie, the game, they do a much better job of kind of wrapping up the whole Ghostbusters story and kind of explaining what's going on with the ghosts. But in this movie specifically, we get that smash cut with the Ghostbusters logo and the music, and then we get a cut to the introduction of one of the main characters, but arguably he's kind of the main character of the whole movie. Uh, Venkman is doing a side test with two students. It's played by Bill Murray. Yep. And in this one, he's doing shock therapy to test if it brings up psychic powers. But we also kind of fi- figure out that Venkman is very much the non-believer of the group and very sarcastic. In fact, when they find out Ghosts are real, he, his immediate thought is, let's monetize this. Yep. Which really raises this question. If he is that much of a skeptic, why the fuck are you shocking students? I don't think he actually believed he could create extra sense no, of I, I very much, like, even when I was younger watching this movie, I very much got the idea that he was just shocking that guy for yeah. the fun of it. Like, oh, I was no totally purpose. Yeah. 100% he was not trying to bring out special powers. He was just shocking the kid. Yeah, he was zapping that guy just because he could. And then the girl, he was not zapping her because he was trying to, like, impress her to, like, I guess, you know, do unteacherly things. Yes. It was a different time. Yeah. People just wanted to have sex with their students. Yeah. And Think just back to Indiana Jones. That It's a whole thing. The, the best punchline for this whole joke, though, is that the final card he pulls up and gets the guy to guess it. And he's like, oh, no, some swiggly lies out. It's correct. And he's like, ah, oh, you're just having a good day. And he zaps him anyways. Yeah. That alone is like, I'm pretty sure he was just doing it, like, regardless. He just wanted to zap that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, like, he spins it like, oh, don't worry about him. He's just jealous of your powers. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, Stance comes in. It's like, we found a ghost. We need you. You can come down to the library with us. We're going to do some testing to see if we can confirm all of our stuff. And he turns to the girl. It's like, uh, can you come back in the evening? I'm thinking more around. She's like, 4.30. He's like, I was going to say 4.30. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we definitely learn that his character is one that goes after the women at all times. Yeah, he does, doesn't really care about anything else. He wants money, women, and to be lazy as much as he can. Yeah. Uh, Which, so I've got, I've got to say, I love Bill Murray as an actor, but just every movie that I've seen him in, I hate the character he plays. He does such a good job at making a character that I hate. Oh yeah, he pl- he's well, he, such a good guy in reality, he plays an asshole all the time in movies. Yeah. Well, he oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes he plays an asshole in the movie specifically so that his character has room to grow and become not an asshole by the end of the movie. I I shouldn't say hate, because most of the time it's just incredibly annoyed that I'm feeling. It's, you look at him and say, what an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's an asshole. And, uh... Obviously, I said Ray ends up entering the room and telling them they have to go, so they end up taking off to the library. That's where we're introduced to Spangler, who is making weird mm sounds and, like, just scanning the room. Yep. Uh, so Spangler is kind of like, I guess, funny enough, the nerd of the group. Yeah, he's very straight-laced and serious all the time. But in a very comical way. Yes. Like, he's got that air of weirdness to him. Like, there's even the line later on where they're like, uh... Yeah, so there's a scene later with him and Janine, the secretary... And she's like, just, you know, talking about a bunch of stuff. And it's like, uh, what do you like? It's like, I collect spores. I collect spores, mold, and fungus. So they end up exploring library. This is where we get more of uh, Venkman not really being, like, you know, too serious about things. Like, you just ask her questions like, uh, is your family have any sign of, like, psychosis in the past and stuff like that? Yeah. It's like, have you done any drugs? (laughs) 
So this is where we get probably the first big joke that I actually like. I remember in this movie that I just kind of like burst out laughing in is they go back into the library. They see, you know, the spectral goop and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, gathering it. But they round the corner and there's the ghost library and she's kind of reading. So they decide someone has to go talk to him. They send off Bankman. Before that, there's just one little line that the race dance says that just threw me completely off or caught me completely off guard. She's like, listen, do you smell that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) I just could not forget that for the rest of the movie. Listen with your nose, Matthew, please. My my favorite is uh, the moment that comes up when Bankman goes out and he tries to introduce himself and she turns and goes, shh. <laughs> and I just lost it laughing because like you expect like you know something spooky from the ghost that but just like for it to react in like the most common way that you'd expect any librarian to. And so yeah. Bankman's just like okay, just slowly backs up and goes back around the corner. Which uh, th- this is where the thing gets kind of weird on it because the opening scene of the librarian ghost is her just trashing the library. Like yeah, she's putting books away, but the, again the, the Dewey Decimal cards she's just kind of like f- throwing all over the goddamn place, and she slimed them as well. <laughs> But her first reaction to these people coming in is shushing them. Well, we don't know her story. Maybe <laughs> maybe she was around when the Dewey Decimal System was first invented, and she had a severe disagreement whoever, with she whoever really, came up She with really the hated Dewey specifically. Or she was specifically one of those librarians who believes that certain books are important and certain books don't belong in a library. And she's just like, no, get this trash out of my library. This shit doesn't belong in my fucking... Or she was just sorting them alphabetically. <laughs> She was doing her work in her way. That's all we know. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't work out, so then goes back and they kind of like argue about who's going to go do whatever. And then uh, Stance gets sent back out, and that's when the ghost gets angry because they did shh. Uh, and they get chased to the library by the ghost, and we never see this ghost again, nor an implication that they went back to catch this ghost. Nope, this is just them now having definitive proof that ghosts are real. Uh, or at least fucking Venkman now has proof. The others already kind of believed. Now, a fun little fact about this one, too. Uh, so, it's kind of hard to say if they did go back to get the ghost, uh, but they do, uh, in the f- video game, go back to catch this ghost. Okay. And the video game takes place after 1 and 2, but as y'all know, 1 ends with all the ghosts getting released. Yeah. So, yeah. we don't know if they went back, but we do know that eventually she does end up captured by the Ghostbusters. They're not that scared of her. Yeah. I choose to believe that they do end up catching her. It's just off camera and they don't feel the need to readdress the library scene. Yeah, just because we do get that sequence of them of catching, them getting lots of jobs, catching ghosts all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So they end up going back to the lab. They are getting fired because they're just all bad well, at their work. They're getting removed from the university because uh, they're not doing real science. Yeah. This is immediately after they discovered ghosts. Yep. Yep. We'll discover ghosts are real. Yeah. They have definitive proof that ghosts are real. That ain't real science. Get the fuck out of my school. Yeah. So this is where Venkman has the great idea, well, we're just going to monetize this and become the Ghostbusters. And we get the really cheap... Well, we get kind of like a montage-like moment coming up that starts with them, you know, going. They get the loan by putting a third mortgage on Stan's house. And then we get them buying the fire hall, so the classic Ghostbusters location. And the thing I always love about this, because if you watch the movie very carefully, there's a lot of subtle jokes, too, that are going on in, like, the background and stuff. And uh, Spangler and Vinkman do a lot of communication through body gestures, which Mm -hmm. is really great if you're paying attention. 
And in this scene where they're doing the negotiation for the fire hall price, like they're doing those motions and like giving clues to each other, like communicating. And then the whole negotiation goes out the window because Stan's is like, oh, a fire pole swings down it. When can we move in? This place is amazing. Yep. Yep. Immediately throws away all the hard work of trying to negotiate. Another good moment we get of this, which is probably, I think, the best moment of them doing this, like, you know, silent speak is the first ghost that they catch is the Ghostbusters which is Slimer, but they're there discussing the price of it. And if you pay close attention, you can see that Venkman's doing the talking, but Spangler's giving him numbers. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, so there's a part where he's like talking, and then all of a sudden Spangler kind of rubs his neck, and he's holding up three fingers while he's doing it, and then he says, 3,000, and then he switches to one finger, and he's like, but we have a special discount on this, so it's only going to cost you 1,000. Huh. So the numbers that Spangler's giving the numbers to Venkman as he's talking. Okay. Yeah. They're well-coordinated as a team. Let's put it that way. Uh, On top of this, uh, they end up getting the commercial, and then they do the kind of montage of them doing some Ghostbusters stuff. But they do put some ads out. And that kind of plays into the introduction we get to Dana and... uh, I'm going to mention Lewis. Yeah, Lewis Dully. (laughs) The most important character in the fucking series. Second movie, maybe. I would say he's important to the entire series. (laughs) Uh, but essentially, Dana's getting home. Uh, we see her house. She sees the Ghostbuster ad. But when she's coming in, we get uh, introduced to Lewis, who is a very weird person. The most like, awkward individual ever. Yeah. But, like, clearly very popular at the same time as we get yeah. to some later scenes. Yes. Like, let's not undercut how cool people think Lewis Tully is. Very strangely... Wait, only think? I'm sorry, how cool people realize Lewis Tully there is. There we go. Strangely... Strangely, awkwardly aggressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like this is, like, a perfect indicator of, like, how good uh, Rick Moranis... Rick Moranis, mm. yes. ...is at playing this type of character. Yeah, like him, uh, not to cut away to other movies, but him in Little Shop of Horrors is a very similar character. And equally phenomenal of an actor. Like, he just does this type of character really well. Yeah. He just has the confidence to play, like, super nerdy that isn't, like, shunned from society. He has the confidence to play super unconfident characters. (laughs) I don't know. I I think Lewis is very Uh, That's true. He's also a specifically good climber, if you think about it. And how many goddamn times does he get locked in his apartment? (laughs) Every time. Every time he opens his door and steps out. Yeah. Uh, So, we get this... uh, interesting scene here where she's coming back with groceries and she's put him on the counter and we get a ghost encounter with her uh the one thing i like is that for when i was younger watching this movie the stay puff marshmallow man just kind of felt like he was out of nowhere but if you do pay attention again this is a movie that has a lot of very subtle like hints and stuff in it anytime you see marshmallows it has the stay puff logo on it the marshmallow yeah. man is through the whole movie oh yeah they want stay puff marshmallow man in the back of your mind for the end of the movie too yeah so when she's putting the stuff on the counter she puts down a bag of stay puff marshmallows her eggs and all that stuff. The eggs start cooking on the counter. Her fish starts growling. She opens up the door and then there's the beast that goes, Zool! Very spooky stuff to see in your fridge. Yeah. Kind of fungus you don't want to see. We get the indication that there's something odd going on in this mm-hmm. apartment. And because she saw the Ghostbusters uh, ad just a moment ago, she decides to go to them. But only three days after, she later mentions when she's talking to them, <laughs> I've had a ghost encounter. I haven't gone back to my apartment in three days. Which is kind of weird, because why didn't she go to them sooner? And what has she done in the meantime? Where has she stayed? I think it's pretty obvious she stayed with Lewis. Yeah. Except for her general demeanor towards Lewis probably precludes that. 
Uh, so before she does go talk to them, we end up getting introduced to two very important characters. Is one of them Echo One? Yeah, one of them is Echo One. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, which is like an ambulance slash hearse, <laughs> which is pretty yeah, good. It's an old ambulance that was repurposed into a ghost hunting machine. And the second is Janine, the secretary. <laughs> now officially a secretary of yeah. the group. Yeah. If we have a really good back and forth, like Janine is such a fun character in this because she takes none of the shit from Bankman. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's talking about, it's like, we'll do some work, we're paying you for this. He's like, I've quit better jobs for less. So yeah, D- uh, Dan ends up coming in, has a discussion with him. They kind of work at the details. They do the scans. It's like, oh, she's telling the truth. Well, she thinks she does. So they decide, even at this point, Bankman's still, I don't know if it's ghosts. I think you're just crazy. Yeah. And then, so they go to her apartment and... He's fiddling around with weird gadgets that, like, he probably just threw together to look professional. Now, I think this scene itself very exemplifies the fact that Bankman's an asshole. Oh, yeah. Like, you get, like, clearly he's, like, doing stuff, but, like, this is just a straight-up full assholeness. Like, there's nothing oh. redeeming about him for this whole oh, goddamn 100%. scene. <laughs> yeah. Because he immediately goes search in the bedroom. He's like, oh, nothing's happened in there. He's like, damn shame. <laughs> it's like, what? He's very clearly just trying to seduce Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Not, not even her character in the movie. <laughs> trying to seduce actual Sigourney Weaver. Uh, but they, they go into the kitchen and all stuff. And he, he does get some funny lines in here too. Like where it's like he's checking all the stuff. Uh, flips over the egg that's been cooked on the counter. It's like, don't you want to check the fridge? Like she's really like, look at the goddamn fridge. But he's like doing everything he can to not look in the fridge. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I suppose I should. Yeah, and it opens up. It's like, oh my God. It's, what is it? It's like. Do you really eat all this stuff? <laughs> it's like, look at all this junk. <laughs> but yeah, they end up finding no sign of any ghost there. He's like, and then this is where, I guess the problem is like, I like the movie. I understand there's some bad parts in it. And one of the weird things is, it's probably due to the time, but movies were a lot slower, but also had a lot of filler that was kind of unimportant. So they would skip things that they felt weren't important to the movie but then add things that weren't important at all. And this is one of those things where he just immediately does like a 360. It's like, you know what? I really like you. I'm going to win you over. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those kind of forced character growth moments because it's easier for them to just say that there was character growth than to show the character it's growth. Like all of a sudden, I'm in love with you and I'm going to make you like me. Despite the fact I have no redeeming qualities, you're going to want to be with me. And anything I've had before does not indicate that I'm this type of person. So I was like, oh, he's just joking. But it wasn't. Nope. He just completely changed personality, that's all. Yeah. I blame ghosts. Oh no, he didn't change personality, he just all of a sudden decided, I'm going to love this person. And be a good person, because there's nothing that makes him a good person in this movie. He just decides to be a good person. But he's even not that good of a person. But he becomes a better person, slightly. I'm choosing to blame ghosts. <laughs> he got possessed. Exactly. By a decent person. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can think of that makes sense within like his change, if you want to put any blame on ghosts, it's when he got slimed by Slimer. That's the only indication, because like that's where the shift starts happening, because the stuff with Dana happens before their first ghost. And then we get the famous Janine line, we got one. Yeah, and it's Slimer. Yeah, and that's when they go to the hotel to get Slimer. And that's the only moment I can pinpoint where something happened. So maybe he was joking with Dana, and then he got slimed by Slimer, and maybe Slimer did some, like, good person possession on him. What if Slimer is a good person? I mean, he essentially becomes one of the Ghostbusters in the second movie. Not quite, but he's not an evil dick ghost like the rest of the ghosts. Yeah, he's just incredibly gluttonous. Yeah. Yeah, so they end up getting to the hotel room. 
or not the room, but the hotel itself, and it's, oh, this ghost has been, you know, haunting the 12th floor, and we need to deal with it. But do it discreetly. Of course. <laughs> We've got the great scene of them getting into the elevator with all their gear, and it's like, oh, what's going on? It's like, uh, cockroach infestation on the 12th floor. It must be a big cockroach. <laughs> you going up? I'll wait for the next elevator. Yeah. And, and the best thing is, like, these Ghostbusters are so goddamn jumpy, too, because... Uh, as soon as they get off the elevator, the, the cleaning lady comes out of the room with the cart, and they just immediately turn around and blast her. <laughs> oh, just God. incinerating everything on her crawling. Yeah, and she's yeah. like losing her shit and like, oops, sorry, thought you were someone else. Which, just imagine that that guy did go up with them in that fucking elevator ride, and they blast the fucking cleaning lady. How big does he have to assume that the cockroach is if they <laughs> mistake a human being for the cockroach? I think that hotel has a few more problems if that's the case. Yeah. Yep. And so then they split up to try to find the ghost on the floor. Yeah, and I guess this is kind of weird that they do this, too. Although we do get a few good moments because we get uh, Spangler just poking real people. Yes. Yep. Uh, so Stance is the first one that ends up encountering Slimer. He sees him gorging himself on leftover food. Misses completely and just fries the wall. Yep. They do that a lot. This is where we start to realize that the power packs are not as easy to aim as we once thought. Actually, we, uh, we did go over one thing. The part in the elevator that is kind of unjust, where they're talking about the oh, power yeah. packs. How it's like they're it's like nuclear reactors, essentially the proton packs. Yeah. <laughs> and so when Spang, he's like, Spang, like, he turned me on, and he turns them on, and he immediately backs up to the opposite <laughs> side. Yeah. Both, both Venkman and Spangler are just back as far away as possible. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess I should also mention that uh, the guy playing Spangler is also one of the writers for this as well. Okay. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. Uh, Harold Ramis? Yeah, Harold Ramis. He's yeah. probably one of my favorite characters. Oh, yeah, Spangler's great. I, I feel like, even though Vankman's kind of like the main character, sadly Stance and Zedmore aren't really that big to the plot no. of it. They just kind of do things. And then Spangler's kind of like the heart of it. Like, I think he kind of embodies the idea of Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. I Now that we've talked about a couple of the actors, I... Would be remiss if we didn't mention Dan Aykroyd, who is Stan- who plays Stance, who it has come out in recent years, or not that recent, but like in the past decade, it has come out that he fully 100% believes that ghosts actually are real, and a lot of the scenes that happen in Ghostbusters are based on his actual beliefs of how ghosts actually behave. Uh, like, if you'll remember, there's the montage later on where they're busting ghosts across the country, and there's one where he's dressed as, like, a Civil War general sleeping in a bed. Okay, so, I know this scene, I have to correct a few things, though. In the movie, it's a dream sequence. Uh, in the movie, it's a dream mm-hmm. sequence. They but it was supposed to be an actual scene. It was initially shot as an actual scene. It ends up as a dream sequence. Uh, but Dan Aykroyd has done an interview where he talks about how he believes that ghosts performing sexual acts on human beings is a real thing that actually happens and is well documented and that is why he felt the need to shoot it as a real scene but got talked down by the other people into making it a dream sequence I like the characters he plays but the person himself is very is like made very clear that he's gone crazy in recent years (laughs) yeah he's insane also he's constantly saying Ghostbusters 3 is happening always like uh, uh, clockwork like given it uh, once every year he at least says Ghostbusters 3 I got a script ready which I mean Thank God we're getting Ghostbusters Afterlife sometime 2021, I believe, just to, like, put that whole fucking discussion to bed. Yeah, that one, uh, because Afterlife is supposed to be a soft reboot where it's in the same world but not the same characters we're following. Yeah, so the events of the first two movies did happen in this world, but we're following completely different characters. And from the trail, it looks like everyone fucking forgot about ghosts again. Yeah, 
Love but it also, from what I've seen of casting, all of the same characters are at least making appearances in this one. And not like they did in the 2016 Ghostbusters, where they're just like ghost debunkers or shit like that. There are actual, as like... Yeah, because Dan Aykroyd was a cab driver. Uh, Zed Moore... I can't remember what Zed Moore was in the movie. I feel like he was just a guy on the street. Or no, he was... He was an engineer, he, he was, wasn't he? Wasn't yeah, because he, he doesn't the, say, I'm, I'm not afraid of no ghosts or something like that. Wasn't he the uncle of one of the like new Ghostbusters who helped them get set up in their place or something? I, I don't know. know. I don't fucking know. Regardless. Uh, uh, of course, uh, the, one of the best casting ideas of the cameo was they had uh, Bill Murray pretty much playing the Walter Peck in the movie. Yeah. And then uh, Harold Ramis was sadly dead at this time, so he was just a bust. Yeah. But from what I'm hearing, uh, at least of this upcoming one uh, for 2021 Afterlife, they do have Bill Murray playing Vankman and Dan Aykroyd playing Stance and Ernie Hudson playing Zed Morgan, so... It looks like they are at least appearing as themselves, if only briefly. But. And from the trailer, too, they I believe it kind of hints that they find Ghostbusting equipment and one of the kids might be related to one of the Ghostbusters originally. And the speculation is that they're going to be uh, Egon's kids or like grandkids or something like that. Yeah, I heard it. I heard it's either Egon or Vankman's grandkids. It's yeah. one of theirs. Uh, regardless, we don't need to talk about that. We're talking about Ghostbusters. <laughs> this is just to say that Dan Aykroyd can stop talking about Ghostbusters 3. It is fucking Yeah, happy. he's always talking about Ghostbusters 3. It's never happened. I'm starting to think it doesn't exist. Yeah. The game happened. That's what we're accepting. But yeah, uh, they end up getting the ghost. They, as we mentioned before, they have the negotiation for the cost. During this fight, though, uh, both, uh, Stance and Vankman get slimed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they end up chasing it to the ballroom on the first floor. And then we start to <laughs> realize they don't really care about, you know, destruction or damage or anything, no. <laughs> because <laughs> one of the best things is they're just fucking destroying this ballroom that needs to be used in 30 minutes. Venkman's yeah. <laughs> like, I've always wanted to try yeah. this and tries the old tablecloth <laughs> pulling out from under. To be fair, nothing fell off the table. <laughs> nothing fell it off worked. the table. But only the flower vase stayed upright. <laughs> yeah. It kind of worked. <laughs> Uh, but th- they end up catching the ghost. We learn a bunch of important rules about the power packs, which is don't cross the streams because it causes like a reverse nuclear explosion of some sort. All life will apparently come to an end. It's a bad idea. Let's just leave mm-hmm. it at that. Yeah. Uh, also, apparently you're not supposed to look into the ghost trap when it's active, which Stance fucking does. Yep. It's portal to hell. Trust me. You don't want to look into the portal to hell. Although... Nothing appeared to happen to him when he looked into it. Yeah. That's because he already had no soul. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously they catch it, they negotiate with the hotel owner for the cost, and then that's where we start getting the montage of the Ghostbusters actually doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I do like, though, that... Uh, the Including hotel... the ghost blowjob. Blow yeah. The, the hotel manager asked for them to come discreetly, and then they just roll up to the hotel, just sirens blazing. Yeah. Because they are using an old ambulance. Yeah. Uh, so this is where the movie kind of starts taking like the focus on the relationship with Vankman and Dana, where he ends up going to her place of work and it's like just starts making fun of the guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Once again, kind of an asshole, even though he's supposedly not an asshole anymore. But the thing I like here too is because when the guy asks who that was after like he gets up like, oh, we'll go on one date with me, we'll talk about stuff, and like you know. I'll yeah. solve your ghost problem because I found out about Gozer 
and kind of same with things for later on in the movie. It's like, oh, Gozu's this old Mesopotamian guy. He's not. Gozu's not real. <laughs> but they end up finding the details, and he wants to discuss with her, but over dinner, she ends up agreeing. When she's leaving, he's like, well, who is that? And it's like, oh, he's just a scientist. But then later on, when she's talking to her mother on the phone, arguably the person you'd want to, like, you know... Impress the most. Yeah. She, he's like, oh, who are you dating? Oh, no, he's one of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, what? You know, like yeah. the one you've seen on TV? <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I'd be more impressed if I, my daughter was dating a Ghostbuster than if she was dating a scientist. Scientists don't, don't get paid the big no. bucks. But it's just like, why is it like her co-worker is like, always oh, a scientist. I, I, I don't want you to think any less of me. But otherwise, like, yeah, fuck it, it's Ghostbuster. I just fuck her co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones she has to speak with on a daily basis. And this is where we end up getting the concept of ghost jail. Yep. Mm-hmm. Whatever fuse box it is that they... Yeah, store them in. Here's the thing I've never because they explain that it's like a laser grid that holds the ghosts in place, but they never really go into details of what that entails. No, and all we know is that if it gets shut off, it's very bad. I think we do get to see inside of it in the Ghostbusters animated series, but I don't know if I'm counting that as canon for these movies. Uh, But it's not a good place inside the Ghostbusters animated series. I'll tell you that much. It also doesn't look like a laser field inside of the Ghostbusters animated series. Uh, yeah, it's just science mumbo jumbo. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Anything that Spangler talks about, it's science mumbo jumbo. Yeah, and then we get the classic Twinkie discussion. I don't remember the Twinkie discussion. It's like, now, imagine this Twinkie is the usual ghost a- an- amount of ghost activity. Now, imagine this Twinkie being, like... 12 meters long and weighing like 32 pounds. That's what ghost activity is at now. <laughs> right. Okay. I understand now. So yeah, he's trying to explain to Zedmar what's going on. Like with the increasing ghost activity. That's how he explains it to him. And then later on, Bankman shows up. He's like, how's it going? He's like, ask him about the Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to tell him about the Twinkie. Uh, and this is where we kind of get our antagonist introduced to the story. So, uh... We get the EPA uh, representative, Walter Peck, and I'm just going to say it right now, when I was younger, uh, Walter Peck, I was like, why is he doing this? He's an asshole. But as I get older, Walter Peck was right. Oh, yeah, no, it's absolutely oh, yeah. unregulated scientific shit that they have no idea how it works. <laughs> now, or to be what fair, on the what side. I will say is, Walter, Walter Peck is still an asshole. He's a right <laughs> asshole. But he definitely went about it the wrong way. But yeah, he's absolutely right about what he's saying. He's absolutely wrong about how he says it. Yeah, and really, the only reason there's a conflict with the mayor... And the EPA is because Venkman was an asshole again. Yeah. I'm starting to think Venkman's the actual antagonist of this. (laughs) He pretty much is when you think about it. Because... He didn't let let Mr. Peck uh, examine their storage device. Yeah. So, just talking about it. uh, In the beginning of the movie, when they get fired, it's implied by the dean of the university that Venkman is the main reason they're all getting fired. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, at the same time, we get this situation where Walter Peck is like, I just want to inspect the thing. And he's like, no. <laughs> all that. Okay, theory for you guys. The student who got shocked by Vankman went to the dean to complain, and that's why they're all getting fired, is he was originally just coming to fire Vankman, but Vankman brings mm. up this bullshit about how they're all working together with Gus. He's like, ah, fuck it, you're all fired. I, I gotta I, get rid of Vankman. You're all fired. Just I to- like that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get rid of any reason he would come back to this location. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking Vankman. Yeah, and he gives them all like, his, like, oh, can I see your, you know, storage device? And it's like, you didn't say the magic word. What's the magic word? Please. <laughs> He's like, can I please see it? No. <laughs> yeah, Venkman's just a real 
stick in the mud. It's like, well, fine, I'll come back with a warrant, and if you stop me, I'll have you arrested. Yeah, and he's all the thing about, like, you know, I'm going to sue you for, like, wrongful prosecution, blah, blah, blah. Which, I don't think you can sue that, because I think a warrant doesn't, like... Yeah, no. no. Yeah, it's just a warrant. Well, also... The act of getting a warrant, you have to prove that it's not wrongful prosecution to get the warrant in the first place. Kind of precludes the ability to sue over that. Yeah. And he's, you know, a government agent for the EPA requesting to see a device that could be dangerous to the environment. He is completely in the right. He just goes about it the wrong way. Which, I guess, is there ghost waste? Is that addressed at all? It's never addressed. But also... Yeah, there's probably ghost ways based on how things work. Well, okay, yeah, we, we get the slime. All we the get time. the slime. We get the leftover marshmallow from the marshmallow puff man, but we don't know what effects that kind of slime has on the environment. They never address that. And I think oh, in later movies actually, they also get slime from ghosts that are specifically in the prison. Uh, hmm. They do, and to address yours. We do have evidence of what happens when slime interacts with the environment. Everyone forgets about ghosts. Everyone forgets about vo- ghosts, and Venkman becomes a better person. Oh, right. <laughs> so, can we, should we assume that ghost slime just has, like, a docile effect on people? Is that what's yeah. going on? People who have bad memories of ghosts uh, repress that shit, and Venkman, who probably has some trauma from his childhood that makes him the way he is, <laughs> represses that shit and becomes a better person. Small amendment to that. Specific slime... Most slime makes you doss out. There are slime that make you angry. <laughs> That's true. There is definitely some angry slime out there. Uh, so this is where we get the kind of like the start of the climax of the movie, I guess. We're moving towards the big event. Mm-hmm. It starts off with Dana getting ready for her date. This is where she talks to her mother. And it's like, yeah, I'm dating a Ghostbuster, I guess. Uh, Lewis is also throwing a one killer of a party. I, I need to talk about this party because this is what I was referencing he's, when I was talking about Lewis being the coolest person ever. I just gotta say, he specifically calls out in the party that I have invited all my clients. You're not my friends. <laughs> yeah, so there's Well, he can ex- write it off as a work expenditure. Yeah. He throws a party as an excuse to hang out with Dana. He invites all of his clients who he can write off as a work expense, but even though he's just having a party with all of his clients, it's still, like, a really fun affair, and it's not dry or anything. He plays fucking Twister, and his clients are all like, Yeah, fuck it, let's play Twister! And let's not forget the fucking hot blonde who's in his apartment who is all about him. Who's bored until he's like, No, let's dance. She's like, Okay, I'll stay and dance. Now, I, just want, I also want to praise Lewis for how great he is, because clearly his motivation through most of this movie is he's trying to get with Dana. And then, when he's talking to Dana, trying to get her to come to the party, she's like, Oh, sorry, I made a date. He's like, Oh, man, that sucks. Well, you should bring him over. Like, he just immediately like, moves on to, like, yeah. oh, I guess, like, you can bring him over and you can both hang out at the party. Yeah. Like, he's such a cool dude. Well, talk about how much Lewis wants to get with Dana and also just, like, how the steps he takes to please Dana. Let's also talk about the point when her TV was acting up earlier in the movie. Or was it earlier? Yeah. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he talks about how he tried to get into her apartment to tear it off the TV. Her door was locked, so he tried to climb up and get onto her balcony and climb into her apartment because he's a really good climber, but couldn't manage to do it. So instead, he just turns his TV volume all the way up so people assume all the TVs are just broken in the building. <laughs> oh. So yeah, at the party, he's in the party. He hears a weird noise from the closet. He's like, who brought a dog to the party? Well, that's not it because we follow Dana, uh, right? Right, right. And we see the glow start coming in from under her... Uh kitchen door right and that's when all the fucking arms come out of the couch and grab her yeah uh and then you know swings in and then she gets pulled into that room and we see the first dog come out of the stone on the roof yeah yep and then that's when first off how did the fucking dog get into his closet i don't know 
But it does get there, and it jumps out and attacks him, and he gets chased like, by it. We know... All we know is that this hotel was built specifically for this ancient cult's purpose. Yeah. Uh, so the dog ends up jumping out and specifically chooses Lewis for some reason, so it chases him. Which leads to one of the best lines in the series. I want to talk about the second movie again for a second. Which is when the Ghostbusters are on trial and Lewis is defending them. Uh, and he has the line of, I was a dog for a little while there, but I'm not mad about them because they saved me and brought me being a human again. <laughs> Which is such a ridiculous line to say in court. And it's why Lewis is the best. I also like when he was running from the dog through the park, and he gets to that high-class, fancy meal. <laughs> Everyone just looks at him and like, uh, uh, okay, and just go back to their business as he gets eaten by this dog. Yeah, and you can really see the quality of, like, again, it's part of the time, but when the dog is static and it's just a prosthetic, it looks actually pretty good and holds up still. Yeah. But when it's moving, because it was just, I, I believe it wasn't computer animation, I believe it was drawn on the film. Mm. Yeah. It looks so bad. <laughs> yeah. It really just looks like it's superimposed on the screen. Well, it's the classic animation of the time was hand-drawn stills oh, yeah. uh, put over top of the frame. And, like, they'd look a lot better if they could get the lighting right on the drawing. But, but that's always the difficult part. Yeah, that's right? really yeah. difficult to do. But, yeah, it, it, I don't judge it for that. Like, no. it's something I enjoy. And the movie, where it's a comedy, it works still. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then this is where we find out that Dana has become the gatekeeper and Lewis has become the key master. And Keymaster Lewis uh, is just kind of going around warning a horse about the incoming doom. And telling people that they're going to burn in hellfire as he runs oh, he's, off. He's telling that to people, and then he whispers to the horse before he goes off to the hotel. It's like, get ready. You'll be free soon. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking key bastard. This is Rick Moranis, honestly. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there, none of that was scripted. It was just like, all right, Rick Moranis, you have fun with it. You're the key master now. And that's what he fucking came up with. <laughs> the best part about this, too, is the police arrest him at some point, And they bring him back to the ghost person. Like, we found this. We don't know what to do. We thought you might want to see it. Well, yeah, he's clearly possessed. <laughs> Are you the gatekeeper? <laughs> and then uh, that's mimicked by the fact that, uh, so Venkman shows up at Dana's place, and they open the door, until he knocks, and he sees the damage from what happened. He's like, oh man, they threw a crazy party and some dog got loose. <laughs> but when he knocks, Dana opens the door, and she's like, got like the whole seductive thing going on. He's like, Are you the key master? He's like, Never heard of him. Should I? And then she slams the door in his face. <laughs> <laughs> he just knocks against you and goes, are you the key messer? Well, yes. He actually met my husband to meet him here. Yeah. And then she lets him in, tries to do stuff with him. She's like, oh, no, no, you're clearly possessed. Uh, you're not consenting right now, so uh, you just go to sleep. Go to bed right now. Which is the thing, like, Vankman at the beginning of the movie would have been fine with this. Yes. <laughs> it's also, like, surprisingly progressive for a movie of this time of, like, I feel like any other movie written in this time with a ghost who just wanted to bang that much, they just would be like, yeah, fuck it, they bang and then we'll make yeah. a joke about it. No, this movie's like, nope, you're clearly not the person who I'm here for. You're a ghost possessing this person. Let's go to sleep. Go to sleep. I want to talk to Dana. Yeah. Yeah, we get some good back and forth lines yeah. here. And then she <laughs> like, proceeded to levitate four feet off the bed. Well, there's the whole part where it's like, I want to talk to Dana. <laughs> and it's like, there is no Dana, only Zool or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There is no Dana, only Zool. Yeah. And he's like, come on, let me talk to Dana. to get the voice change. He's like, there's no Dana. <laughs> you have a wonderful singing voice. But yeah, she ends up levitating, and then uh, he ends up drugging her. Which, the question comes up then, where did he get the drugs? Because it sounds like that was like prescription, like, 
I'm, I'm assuming he got them from the other guy's room because the other guy has a lot of drugs. But he doesn't know that. True. I'm assuming that this is a holdover from old Vankman who was kind of a dick who just always had these drugs on him. <laughs> they were actually from Vankman. Yeah. Ooh. But yeah, like he, he puts her to sleep with the, the tranquilizer essentially and that's where all the stories kind of converge. So at this point, Stanson and Zedmore are kind of out of the picture. They're doing their thing and that's where Zedmore has the conversation with Stanson I was talking about earlier yeah. about the end times and why there's more ghosts. Yep. Uh, and then Spengler calls up Venkman and he's like, have you heard about the, uh, the gatekeepers? Like, yeah, the, the name's familiar. <laughs> I want to talk about you, uh, when, uh, Spengler is in a, interrogating, uh, Lewis and they got the thing on his head to ch- do it. And you can see the dog's face moving with his face. Yeah. And he tells him the whole thing about the gatekeeper and all that stuff. And he just starts handing him things. He's like, here's a pan, here's a lamb. He's like, thank you. <laughs> and he tries to, like, stop that. And it's like, thank you. Yeah. He starts, like, what, sniffing the jar of popcorn? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Because, like, yeah, Rick Moranis up to this point was like, I don't, I don't think he was able to do his full extent of what he could do comedically. Mm. But, like, I think once he was possessed, they just, like, told him, like, go crazy, do whatever you want. Yeah. It's like, you're possessed by a dog ghost demon have fun <laughs> it definitely felt like rick moranis up until getting possessed was very scripted and very funny because rick moranis is a great actor but very clearly like he's following specific story beats and then once he got possessed they're like all right you're possessed you can do whatever yeah, you want the dialogue's coming from everyone around you so you just do whatever <laughs> yeah you react to the things that are happening around you as a possessed a man possessed by a ghost dog would have fun and this just talking about the actors for a moment here too like rick moranis is really good at like doing like the crazy stuff uh, I, I do agree with you. I do think that it might be written somewhere, but I think the whole scene there with the, you know, interrogation, there was some dialogue that he had to give, but most of it was mm-hmm. probably just him uh, ad-libbing stuff, which if, if the case, uh, Harold Ramis is so good at being the straight face, no matter what's going oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's so much shit that goes on at random where he just like had the exact same expression on his face. Stone face. The like you can see time. like Dan Ackward, like a few times, like react to things going on with like the understanding that he's in a comedy or something like that. Mm. But most of the other actors, they're kind of in the middle ground of it, I guess. Yeah, I kind of get the feeling most of the actors were, like, cast with the idea that, like, you're going to be in a horror comedy. And Harold Ramis was like, no, you're being cast in a horror movie. Accept that and move on. <laughs> I guess it also kind of helps that Harold Ramis was one of the writers. So he probably yeah. went over the script so much that a lot of it's just lost its comedic value. And he also, as one of the writers, was probably trying to take it very seriously because mm-hmm. he wanted the movie to do well. Well, I don't think, because, it, like, it's a horror comedy. Like, it was always, comedy yeah. was a horror comedy, right? Yeah. It's just, comedy needs the straight man in it sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Harold Ramis is just amazing at playing yeah. that role. He was just taking the straight man role very seriously. So, everything kind of reaches its big conclusion when Walter Peck comes back with a police officer and an engineer. One of each, specifically. <laughs> yep. And he's here to shut down the device. And this is where Walter Peck was right, but did it the wrong way. Because he just tells the guy to shut it off, and everyone's like, you shouldn't do this, it's going to be really bad. And the engineer's like, I don't know about this. I don't know what this machine does, just do it. Yeah. And he blows up the Ghostbusters HQ. Yes. And all ghosts get freed. Yeah, just as Bankman's getting back too. And Stance and Zedmore also get back. And it kind of breaks up into a fight, and they all get arrested. As all the ghosts they have caught up to this point are now freed. And this is where we get some of, like, the... I think, out of all the scenes in the movie... These are some of the most outrageous, like, r- ridiculous ones from comedy. Because the first thing we get is them all in the prison jail cell. 
And there's a couple other inmates in there with them. Yeah, they're looking at things because they have the blueprints to that building and they're going over them well in the jail cell. And all the yeah. inmates gather around they're like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, they're like, they're like scientifically, hmm, yes, yeah, yes, 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 exactly, yes, exactly. <laughs> what's going on? Hmm. <laughs> well, they're which, going over all this stuff like ancient Babylonian Sumerian god stuff. Which raises the question, did, was the EPA agent just on a fucking tear of shutting down random scientists throughout New York that entire day? And everyone there has a science background. <laughs> They're all scientists. There's no criminals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a very over-the-top funny scene, which then immediately goes into the mayor wants to see them all. So they all get brought in. And they're having the conversation like the mayor doesn't know who to believe, the EPA agent or the Ghostbusters. And they make a good speech. <laughs> this is where we get some of the, like, I think, prime Bill Murray lines. Oh, it's like, uh, and this dickless guy and all that stuff, and he tells him, like, oh, like, all this danger, like, brimstone and fire. And the mayor's like, is it true? And he's like, that is true. That man is dickless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So come on, this is getting you into so many problems so far. All of the problems you've had has been because of you just not knowing when to shut up or say the right thing. But then he also does finally say the right thing. Yeah, he's like, like you are going to be the mayor that's responsible for saving the lives of millions of registered voters. Yep. Yeah. He's like, so we'll go save the day. If it works, yeah, you get your votes. But if it doesn't, we'll just come back to jail. Yeah. But the, the thing that I always find so, like, it's so weird that I can't help but laugh at it is because the, the bishop or whatever shows up. Oh, yeah. And he's talking to him. And he's like, well, I can't say anything, but I think this is God's doing. And he sits down. And so when he, the Bill Murray gives the whole speech as Venkman about, like, the registered voters, and the mayor looks over to the uh, the priest guy, and the priest has just got a grin and nodding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? It makes no sense. Yeah, like, it says something when the only time I think of this movie as being cartoonish is in probably the scene that's supposed to be the most serious. Yeah, absolutely. The fucking climax of the film is when it's the most fucking comedic. Yeah, it just like this seems so like the ma- the prison uh, the jail cell in the mayor's office just seems so out of place for the rest of the movie. <laughs> By feeling like they're more cartoony than the rest of the movie for some reason. Yeah. So, after the mayor ends up setting them free to go do their thing. This is where some of the, like again, the logic issues with this movie start coming to play because people don't believe in ghosts. But they really like the Ghostbusters. So ghosts are common enough that the common person's like, the Ghostbusters, they're doing real stuff. But the person in charge of the city does not believe in ghosts, though. <laughs> even with the doomsday coming down on them. And uh, even Walter Peck is like, it's just CG effects and all that. He was like, no, he's probably, they've probably gassed the populace so they're seeing hallucinations. Yeah, it's the same like flawed logic that it happens in any movie where Santa is a thing. And the adults don't believe in Santa. It's like, but like Santa is a thing and gives gifts to your children. Why do you not question the gifts that are under your tree that you did not present for your children? What? <laughs> how is Santa being a thing in question here? If in a movie where ghosts are real, how do people question the existence of ghosts that much? It's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is where we kind of get like the montage of the Ghostbusters driving into town with the police uh, to do their final showdown with Gozer. Or... They have an idea it's Gozer that's coming, but they don't know that they're facing off with them specifically. But they get there, uh, they all line up, they have, like, the hero moment, Bankman's just tearing up the crowd. Other question, how did the town know, well, I guess, I guess there's the giant storm cloud. But I was like, how did the town know specifically, we should all get here with signs saying we love the Ghostbusters? I, I don't know. Because news of the Ghostbusters being arrested was big news, obviously. I mean, if I arrested the Ghostbusters, I'd want that on the headlines immediately. 
So everyone knew that the Ghostbusters had been arrested. So they were probably on their way to the town hall to riot. Exactly. With signs that exclaimed their love of the Ghostbusters. But then they hear the Ghostbusters moving towards the hotel building. So they're like, oh, let's change direction and go cheer them on. Already got our signs prepared and everything. Uh, And as Matt mentioned earlier, too, we did find out during the Blueprint stuff that the building was meant to be an altar for the return of Gozer through a bunch of cult whispers, which the guy who designed the building uh, specifically made it for that. And apparently the epicenter is Dana's apartment, which is on the 12th floor, which the building's clearly more than 12 floors high. So why did he pick that apartment specifically? And when they were going up the stairs... It's one flight. I don't know which one flight, but it's behind the fridge. Yeah. You know, but when they were going up the stairs in the apartment building. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the first apartment building where they got their first ghost captured. Never mind. Uh, But they are all outside doing their victory pose. Then a tremor start. The building collapses and all the Ghostbusters fall into a pit. And then they're immediately fine, which makes you wonder why even do this scene. Yeah. There was no punt. There was like no joke or payoff to it. It was just they fell into a hole and climbed back out. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like you discussed before... Movies feel the need to include stuff that seems completely unnecessary and exclude stuff that seems like it would help drive the plot forward. This is one of those ways that they felt to fill the time to make the excuse of cutting shit that actually addressed the story. Yeah, the other example of that is, again, the Stant Zedmore conversation in the Echo 1, where they're just kind of talking about the end times and they're not involved with the plot at all. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah, I guess it kind of explains why there's so many ghosts, but the rest of the conversation doesn't really fit in with that because they don't even do anything about it. Or address it. Yeah, it's just weird shit. Just having uh, uh, Spangler talk about the Twinkie more would have sufficed. Yeah. Explaining the Twinkie explains everything that's going on in the movie without talking about the end times. Uh, in fact, the end times raise more questions because the times don't end, so the end times makes less sense. Because they stop the end times. That's not how end times work, Matthew. <laughs> I mean, narratively, that's how they tend to work, actually. <sighs> I disagree. Regardless. <laughs> uh, but then we get the joke of them climbing the stairs after that huge fanfare outside. They're just getting tired climbing up. They get to Dana's apartment, see that there's a stairway going up. Like, Where does that staircase go? It goes up. Of course it does. <laughs> so they then continue their path up to the roof where we're going to have our final showdown. And they meet mm-hmm. with Gozer. Yeah, so Dana and... Uh, Lewis get turned into the dogs again. They go through the gate where we find Gozer. And they have some weird 80s showdown, kind of, for yeah. the first part. Yeah, it's pretty punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> well, the best part, too, is they, again, uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie is like, Go get him, Ray! When they're deciding what to do with the gun. It's like, where he walks up to talk to them and goes like, Are you a god? And he's like, Well, no. And then it just zaps him immediately. Yeah. <laughs> And they all look at Ray and say, God damn it, Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you reply with yes! Yeah. Obviously! And they get zapped a bit. They almost fall off the roof. And then we get what I think kind of an iconic Ghostbusters moment where it's like, uh, grab your stick, heat him up. I think it's heat him up. No, it's because the first one, grab your stick, they pull it up, they go, ho, heat him up, smoke it. When they're starting up their proton packs. Yeah. Something like that. Clearly very iconic, yes. I think it's iconic. It probably is. I've only seen the movie once. <laughs> and then they all unleash together. Uh, but Gozer ends up getting away, of course. But they uh, 
So they end up having the fight. Gozer gets away and then starts talking to them in their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tells them that they need to choose the form of the destroyer who will end the world. And we get, I guess, one of the two most iconic ghosts in the story. Yep. The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, so Ghost is like, you choose your destructor, whatever you think, that's what's gonna come attack you. Venkman's like, I've got it. All we have to do is think of nothing so the destroyer won't appear. And <laughs> then... Well, what if that means nothingness is your destroyer? Ooh, that'd be rough. If anything... The fact that Stance accidentally thought about the Stay of Marshmallow Man probably saved them. Because <laughs> you can kill a giant Marshmallow Man. You can't kill nothing. Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is much more yes. uh, tangible than nothingness. In fact, I think he would have put it the wrong way. I think you just think of the most easily defeated thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, I've got to admit, that was probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Where all of a sudden they hear stomping from across town. They look out over the cityscape and see from behind a building... The Stave Puff Marshmallow Man comes into view and he just shoots them an evil grin. Yeah, and let's not forget that this Stave Puff Marshmallow Man also breathes fire. Yep. Yes. Alright, who thought of the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man? I just wanted to think of the least threatening thing I could. You think of like a tiny puppy that's like really weak to bullets. Yeah. Someone riddled with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair... The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, I don't think in canon breathes fire. Or maybe he fucking does. I don't know how this world works. I mean, I choose I, to believe that the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man breathes fire to make it perfect for roasting s'mores. I mean, I know they're... Unless Ray specifically thought, you know what I'm thinking of right now. Not just Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, but a giant Stay Puft Man that breathes fire. Yeah, he wasn't even thinking of, like, the small Stay Puft... He was imagining a skyscraper hive <laughs> fire-breathing Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I mean, when they tried to hit him with the... Proton packs, they set the Marshmallow Man on fire. Yeah. But that, was, that wasn't that was like, I'm on fire and I'm spitting fire. That was, mm. I am breathing fire. He made Godzilla noises. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> wait, maybe Gestapo is like the equivalent to Godzilla in this universe. Maybe. He is brought about by the hubris of man, so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess they dispatch of Stapuff relatively quickly. Yeah, he doesn't seem like as big of a problem as Gozer makes him out to be. Thanks to Stance actually thinking of the Marshmallow Man. Yeah. Well, to be fair, they don't... I guess they never actually physically defeat the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man because what the idea they end up getting is they can't defeat the Marshmallow Man. Right, yeah. So they need to close the gate. Yeah, and, and they so they have to do it before, before the Marshmallow Man successfully climbs up the tower to them. Yeah, so what they end up doing is they cross the streams into the gate... Creating the destruction of the universe, but only in that universe. Killing Gozer and... I don't think they kill Gozer. Well, okay, making... Defeating Gozer. Defeating Gozer. Yeah, essentially they closed the gate Gozer was coming through. Because you can't kill a ghost. Or a god. Or that. Yeah, Gozer's not a ghost. Right. Weird that the Ghostbusters' first major villain is not a ghost. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Their first major villain is absolutely Slimer. Certainly put up more of a fight. (laughs) <laughs> I guess technically he could have killed two of the Ghostbusters if he really wanted to. Yeah. Because Vinkman was down for the count after that one. Whereas we officially fucking saw Gozer try with the fucking lightning and didn't do shit. Just pushed them along the ground. Yeah. So uh, they end up across the streams. There's the blast of Marshmallow, I'm going to hope. That hits all of them. I'm going to say it's Marshmallow. Let's just go with Marshmallow and not think about other things it could have been. <laughs> Uh, but it's like, oh, we finally defeated it, but... Oh, also, Vanquin's not covered in anything. 
Yeah. Which makes you wonder if that was just a clause in the bill where everything's like, yeah, you're not gooping me. <laughs> Probably. Didn't he get slimed by Slimer, though? Marshmallow goop's different from Slime. Maybe, maybe he got slimed by Slimer, and that happened, and then he added a clause to his contract. Yeah. He's like, no, <laughs> I get never one, again. <laughs> one slime per movie. Either that, or he was probably fine with the fact that he got slimed by Slimer, because that slime you can see through. You can't see through Marshmallow. <laughs> you need to always see it's Bill Murray. Yeah. But they, like, they do the brief celebrate, race celebrating, and he's like, oh wait, Dana, she's dead. Shit, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> but then she gets out of the dog, because apparently they're fine, even though they were the dog they weren't inside the dog they were the dog they were absolutely the dog but then the dog turned back to statue which technically should have killed them unless those statue dogs were also hollow yes they were which they turned out to be yeah we're going with they were they were just inside yeah they break them apart and they save both lewis and dana and this is where they have their triumphant get down to the bottom uh oh and also walter peck was just destroyed by marshmallow oh yeah (laughs) not dead because he comes back but he was just marshmallowed completely yeah like a small pond or a large pond of marshmallow was just dumped on him. And the last joke we get in the movie is that when all the Ghostbusters are leaving and they're going back to the car and then Lewis comes out and he's like, does anyone want to interview me? And then the paramedics grab him and start like, no, I want to go in the car with them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking Lewis. Actually, there's another good Lewis line too that happens where when they pull him out of the, the dog uh, statue, and he's like, they're asking, like, are you okay? You've just had your mind melded with, like, an ancient Babylonian god or whatever. And he's like, who are you guys with the Ghostbusters? And he's like, who does your taxes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun fact, Matt, since you haven't seen Ghostbusters 2, he does their taxes. He also Ooh. goes to night school to become a lawyer. <laughs> oh. Represents them in legal cases. Interesting. And yeah, that, that is Ghostbusters the movie. So, Matt, you said this was your first one. Yes. I want to hear your opinions. It was certainly a trip. I was, uh... I completely forgot that it had the comedy tag to it, so I was completely expecting something more serious. But then I heard the line, Listen, can you smell that? I'm like, no. I, this is gonna be a ride. You should have expected better when you saw it had Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd true, at the very least. True, Although, for whatever reason, might have just been because, uh, Spangler's character had glasses, but I thought, uh... Lewis's character was going to become the fourth uh, Ghostbuster. I completely forgot about uh, I Winston. Will, I will tell you that in the second movie, Rick Moranis does put on one of the jumpsuits for a short period Okay, of that's time. probably what got me there. Uh, on a technical sense, if you do count Ghostbusters the video game as canon with the two movies, there is a total of seven Ghostbusters. Huh. Uh, and not all of them are alive. That's fair. I just, I love the way your mind works, Matt. Just given that you went into this expecting it to be a horror movie. <laughs> like, I, 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 I guess expect, if you have no... I expected a very dated horror movie. I guess if you have, like, no introduction to the concept, it's fair to assume that your mind just goes where it wants to go. It's just one of those things where I just can't, in my head, even picture what Ghostbusters the horror movie would <laughs> come across as. Although, I assume something like the Evil Dead remake. Yeah, I, probably. I knew to expect something just bonkers for the end because i do remember from my childhood seeing just a brief clip of the state of puff marshmallow man in ghostbusters i'm like why is that in ghostbusters and that's all i had for the movie growing up fair yeah i don't know i always thought this was a fantastic movie it was enjoyable uh now some fun things just kind of talking about 
what happens in the future. Obviously, we mentioned a few times about some of the things, like they revisit the library ghost in the video game. The video game also does a good explanation of why ghosts started happening. And the guy who built the building, well, he actually built a lot of structures in the city that are meant for channeling ghosts, and Gozer's coming activated all of them. Okay. Uh, so the story has to deal with you actually kind of dealing with that specifically. So that explains why the ghosts didn't disappear after the event. So New York itself is just a giant channel for ghosts because of this guy building five structures that are just for channeling ghosts. Question for you, Matt. Yes. I've already addressed the fact that Lewis ends up getting legal degree through night school so he can represent them in uh, a trial. Can you guess what the Ghostbusters are on trial for in the second movie? Uh, environmental infringements? Digging a hole. Digging a hole? Yep. How big was this hole? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a hole on the side of the street because they were trying to find ectoplasm in the subway, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I suppose that makes sense. Actually, uh, that uh, courtroom scene has one of my favorite lines, which is, uh, he goes, Do, re, ego. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it also has the discussion of a subway worker who explains who he's worked for the past decade in the subway and he's never seen ectoplasm before so clearly the ghost busters are just running around placing ectoplasm in different places to excuse their crimes. Yeah, I definitely recommend if you haven't seen Go- well, I guess you haven't seen Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Definitely watch Ghostbusters 2. It's on my list now. It's not, it's not as good as Ghostbusters 1 but it's a very good continuation. Yeah. It's an enjoyable film. It's not on the same... It's not on par with Ghostbusters 1, but it's still very enjoyable. So yes, you've got homework. You've got to watch Ghostbusters 2 as well as Deadpool 2. Are there any other sequels you're lacking in? Probably. Well, I just can't remember. Terminator 2. I've seen that one. <laughs> okay, good. That's the most important sequel out there. Lethal Weapon 2. Seen it. I'm sure we'll discover more sequels over oh, the yeah. course of making this Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Less important. Less important. Because I haven't seen the first one. Arguably, Jason, or Friday 13th 2 is better than... Well, it's, it's the one that's Jason. Arguably, Freddy vs. Jason is the most important one in that series. <laughs> Jason X, actually? Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. Leprechaun 2 in New York? No. The entire series is irrelevant, <laughs> regardless of which number it is. So, do we have anything else to discuss on the topic of Ghostbusters? Not that I can think of. I mean, it's not like I have ghosts in my day-to-day life. Yet. Is that I mean, a threat or a promise? Both. You may not have ghosts, but you've definitely got skeletons in your closet. How did you know? Yep. Oh, <laughs> well, how did you know, Peter? <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, because I don't want to admit to breaking and entering into Matt's home. <laughs> okay, so with that, I think we can start the wind down, if there's nothing else to say. Yeah, no. Uh, so, I guess the first thing's first. Uh, let's go over any comments we would have had in the previous episodes. So, we did have two comments on our New Year's special. I thought they were spam, uh, given the accounts, but they make sense in context, so I'm just going to read them off, and you decide, I guess. Uh, so our New Year's special, we had one uh, uh, that was indicating that I like that for the award we're giving out at 2.32 on the video. Uh, this was the award Matt was giving to Yashihime. What was the award again there, Matt? Best anime I was looking forward to. That I didn't know I was looking forward to or something like that. So, Monez Rika uh, thinks that I like that. Very good, Matt. And the second award that was mentioned by another person. Let's see here. Has the best. 
That was the comment for uh, the award of the best rebooted 90s commercial. For Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I will recommend is don't go to the video and click on the profiles because the profiles are not appropriate profiles to be browsing through on YouTube. They're definitely kind of shit you should avoid. But thank you for your comments. I agree with your has the best with regards to Jujutsu Kaisen. Damn, I wish. <laughs> Damn, I wish. I forgot about that. Don't worry, Phase 5 hasn't started yet. We can still be right. Your wish could come true. That's true. Alright. So, I guess the only reasonable question for you and the audience moving forward is when Gozer asked you what your destruction will be, what would you think of? Choose your destroyer. See, the first place my mind goes to is a runny... Runny bandit. A bunny rabbit. uh, Except I absolutely know that it would just end up with the bunny rabbit from Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you said rabbit, that's what I thought. That's what I thought too when you said rabbit. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, I guess the bunny rabbit from Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail, that is what my destroyer would be. I think my destroyer would be based off of, like, the last show I've seen. It's like, right now I'm watching Fire Force, so it would probably be fire. Some sort of <laughs> fire demon. And it's just the city immediately lights on fire. Just like, oh shit. <laughs> what have I done? I think it might be me. I've already been doing enough to my life. Better Godzilla. See, I know mine wouldn't be me because I've already ruined my life as much as possible, so there's no point in me ruining it. <laughs> anyone's going to finish me off with me. I've already destroyed it. What else can I do? All right. Uh, so at this point, no one has successfully guessed the episode. Uh, but again, if you manage to guess what the topic is, I know it's hard given the photo and that hint from last episode. But if someone just manages to, of course, you get called out when the episode goes live and on the next episode. Absolutely. Uh, so make sure you, you join us in two weeks from now. Yeah, in a fortnight. Of course, if you want to email and answer our question or have a topic for what our podcast could be about, make sure to email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. The same way words are always spelled. Exactly. Course, we also have a YouTube channel. Uh, and if you could like, subscribe, or even leave a comment on the podcast app you're using, that helps a lot. Uh, my recommendation is to Matt and also everyone else in the audience, watch the second fucking Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> Alright, my recommendation would be, as opposed to hunting ghosts, hunting monsters in Monster Hunter. Since uh, a new demo for the new Monster Hunter Rise game coming has just dropped. Uh, I'm actually not going to suggest a movie or anything like that, or anything long. I'm going to suggest you go watch the uh, epic rap battles Ghostbusters vs. Mythbusters. That's another good one. I don't think I've watched that one. Alright, so uh, make sure you tune in in a fortnight. Uh, where we are going to discuss the Grace Field House and its residents.